Whoa, whoa, whoa. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Final Whistle Podcast. Marvin Aguetta, Ben Kane. We're in the studio together, finally, yet again. How are you, man? How was your week? I... I have had a fantastic week. Where I I love being in the studio because it's just such a better quality uh, oh, yeah. show. So I'm really excited. It's a very good episode we have planned. So I I'm ready. And there's no nothing to talk about the New England Revolution. So it's a happy day. Oh no, it's a, <laughs> a very very happy day. Happy fans for USA fans because we got a huge game to talk about. United States last night, a big win after a draw against Mexico. We'll get into that. A little bit after, but the USA get a, a huge win, five one over Panama. Panama, excuse me, and it was a, a. We're basically right there, right at the finish line to make it to the 2022 World Cup. Ben, big win for the United States. What was your What was your reaction from the game? There's, I. It's a differing reaction here because there's two things. One, you could say, uh, it's a big win. It's a huge win, and USA just need to lose by five or less in their final game against Costa Rica. Yeah. It's likely not to happen, but it's, it's six or less, I think. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's hopefully happened. The squad for the U.S. was super depleted. If you yes. look at all the players that were out and getting Gio Reyna back, especially in the Panama game, to give him a few extra minutes to just mm-hmm. kind of gain fitness was huge. But it's a big result against not the best side, um, especially for the Jesus Ferreira goal. Like it was like walking pace. Same with again with Christian Pulisic's third goal. He literally just walked into the back of the net like. Uh, it's a good win for the USA. It's a huge confidence booster heading into Costa Rica, but they don't really. I don't know. I think I take here. I think mm. they should just forfeit the game, because when you think all right. So if you forfeit the game, for those of you who don't know, you lose by three. So if they forfeit, they're in the World Cup. It's not the worst thing that could happen. Obviously, it's a shake. It's a toss up. But um, no, I just. I wouldn't look if you're a USA fan. Don't look into this result too too much. Obviously, it's a big win, but Panama is not the best team, so you can't look too far ahead. I don't know what your reaction to this was. Yeah, so I saw the first half and then kind of second half. I kind of watched the highlights, but what I saw was, I mean, the first two goals. I mean, or excuse me, the, some of the goals that came in the second half were penalties. It was just so clumsy from the Panama defenders. It was like, what are you doing? And, you know, yes, they got a couple, they got a hatchet from Christian Pulisic. I thought he did, you know, pretty well. Obviously, this is a Panama team. You know, they're not as strong as they were. And for me, when I look at these two squads, yeah, I mean, the performance just left me like, yes, we got five goals, but still, there wasn't just, it wasn't a performance that we would typically see for the U.S. team. Maybe that performance against Mexico, even a couple months ago, was a better performance than this. I don't think we saw the best of the U.S. As you talked about, some of the depleted players weren't there as well. And, you know, we saw a couple of names kind of make their debut to the squad. So that was good. But, yes, I, I think this squad will still have work to do. They, yes, as you mentioned, you know, they could do anything but allow it, uh, six goals and they will make the World Cup. So pretty much they, they got this guaranteed. But, you know, there's still work to be done to see where the squad is heading into the World Cup. Because, again, questions we made who will be on the roster. And that's a bigger question. So for some of these players and, and, the, and the coaching staff, I think got the result. They're at home. That's kind of what we expect at home. Historically, they're they're much better team than on the road. But three points, and now they're literally just getting into the, <laughs> they're they're right there. But we can't make it official. So uh, big win for the USA. There's one thing I want to ask you. So the back line is we're looking at right now. It's Stefan starting in goal. Yeah. Robinson, uh, uh, Anthony Robinson mm-hmm. left back. 
Miles Robinson, Kyle Walker Zimmerman, and then Shaq Moore. Out of those five players, it seems like, to me, four of them, three or four of them are definitely the starting USA in their strongest lineup. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? Do you think Robinson and Zimmerman are the best pairing? Do you think maybe a Reggie Cannon steps in there? Obviously, I know we both yeah. can agree. Sergio Dest needs to get right back to yes. so Shaq Moore. But what are your thoughts on this back line and if this is their strongest? So it is a question. I think for a very long time we didn't know who was the parent. You know, they had John Brooks to start off this kind of uh, regent in qualifying, and then now they have – I think they found a good duo. I think Robinson and, and Zimmerman – I think you stick with that. I think they're the best two parents, just because they're not they're not the best individual defenders, but as a pairing, I think those two are the best. And then for the right back, yes, as you mentioned, I think Sergino, that's his spot to lose. Um, Reggie Cannon, I think also will be in the squad as well. And yes, Shaq Moore got an opportunity. Didn't I didn't think he did I mean he It's he, a Shaq Moore okay. performance. It's a yes, Shaq Moore. Yes, yes, yes. So but uh Anthony Robinson, I think you know, at his A game, I think he he's a starter for me. Intr- oh, it, on his A game, you know, <laughs> when he's not on his A game, I think that's kind of where you got kind of had the questions with him. But for me, I think on his A game, I think Robinson is the best left back in the USA. I don't know what you think, Ben, but I think Robinson. Uh, I think that I think when you're looking at this, Chris Richards is the only name that kind of jumps out that okay. maybe could replace. I think Zimmerman's the best center back by far. Chris Richards maybe gets in there over Robinson, but mm-hmm. I think the MLS connection that they have playing against in the same league, they're kind of building that chemistry, even though they're not on the same team. Yeah, they're the best pairing. Sergino Des obviously right back solidified. Yeah, Stefan, I mm, maybe Turner, maybe he hasn't played in a while. He's been injured, so that's a little bit different. But Robinson to me is the biggest name because when you have Sergino Des, who's not the best one-on-one defender, as we all know, he's more of an attacking player. Who I personally think you know three-back system, he'd thrive because he can get forward and not worry too, too much about coming back. Um, Robinson is a way worse one-on-one defender than him, so having the two of them out there yeah. is something interesting. I think Reggie Cannon has proven he can play a left-back role, and especially if Dest pushes forward, you can kind of drop into that back three and say, Reggie Cannon is going to hold it, and he'll be okay, but he also brings that speed going forward, that overlapping runs that can play off of Pulisic yeah. on that side, so he works in that lineup. I just don't think Robinson... I don't think Robinson even deserves to be Ooh, in the USA. I don't think wow. he's good enough to be in this team. I mean, well, here's here's my probably counter to that. And I, I would say this. Yes, I would put Sergino Desmore as a left back. Then I would Cannon. Okay. That's for, that's the way I look at it. Because I think Sergino has proven that even at the left back position, he can be very productive. More yeah. than Cannon, at least in my opinion. And... You know, I get it. You know, Robinson has struggled, but I think on, you know, I think you need a lefty. Yeah, I, I guess that's probably the issue. I, some of these left backs, I understand they can go right, they can be right-footed left backs, but it's just so uncommon when you see it. I just want either, yes, yeah, someone with speed that can even defend, because in under Greg Berhalter system, you want to see some of these players make some runs. But I, I think Robinson from the left back position would be the best. I think he can make some runs in. Yes, he's probably his defending is probably why he's shaky. It's it's, shaky at best. It, it, I get it. I get it, but I think that's what I that's why I mentioned before. When he's on his game A game, I think he I think he's a starter, but that's the problem. He's not on his A game. Yeah. But for me, I, I just it, it's hard to put Sergio on the left. Just I just can't see it. I have to see him on the right. But that's probably my second option would probably be Sergio on the left cannon on the right and maybe you can get Chris Richards I wouldn't argue with that 
I think Zimmerman's automatic as oh, well. Absolutely. And but I think Miles Robinson's good too. I think he's on the air. I think obviously you know some people have their opinion, but I I would go with two center backs from the MLS. I I, I wouldn't have a problem. No, with that. I think the goal against Mexico in the Concacaf final. Yeah. Or the Gold Cup, excuse me. Yeah. Helped him immensely. Absolutely. Obviously, we all knew he was. The only thing criticism I have about the two, they're not the best possessional center backs. Yes. But that's not really. It depends on how Greg wants to play. I exactly. don't think you need that if you have. I mean, this says ESPN saying that Tyler Adams played the ten. I don't think that's the case. No, <laughs> um, no. I mean, yeah, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but I no, no, no. This is a good point that you made. It depends on the U.S. and yeah. what their style. But the way we see this team now, I, I would say we're in a position to say. I think this is much more. You know, when Greg Berhalter he wanted to make a, a possession team, build up in the back. I think as as we've seen qualifying uh, evolve, Ben, I think we've seen a team that's just pretty much kind of playing like the U.S. style, counterattacking, scoring set pieces, breaking. I think we're seeing a typical U.S. national team play. I, I think we're not seeing this different evolution of how they play. I think we're much more seeing of a team that, yes, you know, they're going out as a play in the 4 3 3 but I'm pretty much looking like this seems like a 4-5-1 and then yeah. breaking on the counter. That's the way I look at this team. I mean, la- lastly, we talked last week about, I think we talked about it. Maybe it was a dream I had yeah. that Pepe didn't deserve to be. <laughs> oh, no, we talked about we this. Did. Okay. We did. Okay. Obviously, Jesus Ferrer goes in and, yes. and scores. Is this not the end for Pepe, but is this his, like, what does he have to do to get back in the starting lineup and prove Score goals. Again? Okay. It's it's very simple. Score goals. I think this has been the problem for a bunch of years. We I think this is sometimes the issue with some of these young players, especially U.S. players, when they start off so young and scoring some goals, we all expect them to kind of be this next great U.S. player. And I think in this occasion with Pepe, I think the pr- not the pressure. I would say just living up to what he did to start off his, his U.S. career has kind of got to him. He made that move to Europe. He hasn't even scored goals in any of his appearances yet. And now he's struggling to score goals. It's kind of affected his confidence coming back with the U.S., and he's just lacking confidence right now. And I think it's also due to the fact that everybody expects him to be this number nine, you know, this world-class player that, you know, he looked like when he's scoring those goals and the way he scored those goals. But, man, I, I, I just, at the moment, he's not a starter. And for me specifically right now, I don't think he should be selected. It's tough for U.S. fans to, to believe that, but just he, we need a, we need a player that can also not only just build up but just to score goals and for moments right now he's not doing that uh i completely agree with you i think the main problem here is the u.s goes through these pools where they have super super young strikers and then they don't perform and they let them go whereas you kind of need someone I, I, it's gonna pain me to say this you need someone like Josie. oh Altador i knew that was coming out oh my god not play he doesn't <laughs> have to play Especially when at the World Cup, when they're able to take those extra players to not play, but just kind of be in the camp and be around the team, you need a veteran striker that's in there talking to these guys week in, week out. Because Josie's gone through stretches where he hasn't scored, and he's been heavily criticized, but he still is able to pick himself up and keep going yeah. out there. A yeah. player like Josh Sargent, Jesus Ferrer, I would even put in this pool, Ricardo right. Pepe. These guys need someone to look up to and say, okay, I'm not in my best form, but yeah. how did you get through this? That's what I think is super lacking because it's such a young pool of players. But yeah. The ter- Greg Berhalter has no patience with strikers, and we've it's been Well, proven. we see a striker that's been scoring goals in Europe. He can't even get in. Yeah. And Jordan Peekboard, he can't even play. He's probably, genuinely, he's probably one of the best. 
But, the, but that's the problem. I just don't understand why Burhal. I guess I understand, like, well, we see this with managers and mostly international. Like, yes, they have their certain, you know, players that they like and they just want to call up. But at the striker position, you need a striker. We need goals. And, and just, I know we, yes, we have the wing players. We do. We have Christian. We have Reyna. Um, you know, we have the quality in, on the wing positions. But that's always been the problem with the USA. And I think I heard Hercules Gomez talking about, you know, it was important for Pepe to play against Mexico because he was also had a chance to play with the Mexico, yeah. Mexico national team. I understood that. And, yes, he had his opportunity, and he didn't perform. And now he was left on the bench, didn't even come in. So, for me, Berhalter, I, I'm always – I'm old Ben, I'm always a person – I would love I just want to see players who get selected to play especially if they're in form. I don't understand some of these managers sometimes. They're just, you know, they're picking some of these uh players. I understand yes, they have the the the, the reputation, but for someone like Ricardo Pepe, yes, he it's not like he he's been playing well lately. Again, yeah. you got to go with what's in form and that's what I just think they should do. I just don't understand it. There's one name I as I was looking it up as you're talking. There's one yeah. name that like People don't even remember. It's Nicholas Giacchini. Oh, that's, that's another he name. It. He's at Montpellier right now. Yeah. That's what I was looking up. But, like, yeah. it's players like him that, like, he played fantastic in the last few camps. Yeah. He's been in and out of the squad, and then he just can't. The problem is with Berhalter is when he doesn't like a striker playing forward, right. before he throws them out, he puts them at, like, right mid or left mid. Yeah. And Giacchini is, Giacchini is not an outside mid. His build does not allow him to do that. He's a he's a striker. Yeah. He's the striker that you want to sit there and hold up the ball. The same with Jordan Pifuk. Yeah. But they're not getting – as soon as they don't score in, like, two games, they don't get these opportunities again. And then he just kind of just keeps recycling. And it's it's got to end somewhere. It's not going to, but it's got to end somewhere. They're never going to have – all right, Greg Berhalter, if you ever listen to this, Go talk to Pep Guardiola about not playing with a striker because I think that's where this is heading. Yes. Obviously, when you're playing, like you said, a 4-5-1, it's hard yeah. to counterattack without that big body up there who can hold up the ball yes. for you. But they're going to eventually need to figure out a way to do it because the U.S. Has, has never really had a dominant striker in at least the past five or six years, and there's no one coming up. We talked about Pepe thinking he was going to be that. I don't. Time will tell if he it, will, but... it's. I just, I just think... It was such a. It's too. It was so early for him, for people to just hype him up just too jump much. Jump on the bandwagon. Too much because yeah. we've seen it. Especially, I think the perfect example was Freddie Adu. I mean, I think that's just kind of the the example of sometimes you just cannot hype these young players too much because, you know, when they don't perform well and they're still young, I mean, the criticism just just comes in, in, immense. And I know I'm not trying to be critical of Pepe, but I just think. I mean, it's not his fault either, but it's also like just the pressure of Burhalter just putting him in as a nine and playing him. It's just, I think it's just not good enough. And we'll see what happens with this U.S. team, but it's a, it's going to be a big concern heading to the World Cup when they're in the World Cup of what they're going to do with that striker position. I have no idea yeah. what they're going to do. I mean, most most people aren't going to like this, but Giassi Zardes could do a could do a decent. I don't like to say that, but he could do it. He really, realistically, he mm-hmm. plays well under Burhalter. We've yeah. seen how he does in the red, white, and blue. I, I actually he could put in a shift. He could, yes, if, absolutely. If needed, if absolutely, needed. absolutely. But he's not the primary. He cannot be the primary option. No, he's not. And I think that's still the issue is with this U.S. team is where is that number nine? They haven't found a number nine for a very long time, and we're still looking for that number yeah. nine. But Ben, before we uh, wrap up this U.S. talk. Let's talk about USA against Mexico. 
Let's first listen to Greg Berhalter's comments after the game against Mexico. Let's hear from Greg Berhalter. Okay, here we go, guys. Well done, man. That point was big. And think about this. We asked you guys to go to the limit. We asked you guys to dig. And I look at some of the effort of this guy, of this group. I mean, you guys really did everything we asked, man. And we were close to getting that win. Very close. All right. Ben, your reaction. Greg Berhalter saying we could have won, but we didn't. The floor is yours. I mean, positionally, they positionally they got dominated. If you look at the shots, it's not terrible. I just didn't. I don't know. It was just <laughs> kind of boring. Just kind of boring. It, he has these games like we just talked about the Panama game. Yeah. It's exciting, but obviously a lesser team. And then you you come up against this team that you think is gonna give you a run yes. for your money, and you could take it two ways. You could say what he said. You should have won. You could take it as we still have a lot of things to work on to get to that point, or you can be happy with the draw. Um, and in this circumstance, a draw isn't the worst thing because you're not losing any gap nope. on Mexico. So I don't. if I'm him, I don't mind it. This is a very a super strong lineup that he put out, even with all the injuries. Right. Um, we saw, apart from Kellen Acosta, I think that's the – Musa and Adams are the strongest midfield the USA have, and it worked out – I don't know. It's just – I don't want to say, I think this was the one result where I could say it went the way the game was going. Where, like, the last two Mexico results, I, just, I honestly felt like the USA got dominated in both games, especially in the, this two this summer. So this is the first time I think we've seen where the USA have kind of been leveled out and said, you're not as good as you think you are against this team. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially with a, a strong lineup that Mexico put out, you're... And, Ochoa also, but yeah. we had a. <laughs> we had, I mean, we have to mention him. He I mean, he, he was fantastic. Game. He um, was. Yeah. I, I yo. So when I look at this this game, and I actually was I watched it twice just to know what was going <laughs> on, and it's quite interesting. I thought coming in Mexico, and I, I think we talked about this last week. Mexico needed a result. Yes. They were in La Azteca. They lost the last two against the USA. This was a must win for Mexico in La Azteca. And it just, you know, I, I like the way they went. They went with Rodriguez a little more higher. They kind of put out uh, two pivots with uh, with Alvarez and Herrera kind of playing the two pivots and kind of going on the attack a little bit more. And I thought Tata Martino just the first 20 minutes worked out well. And then we again, we saw, as we saw with Mexico, this whole qualifying, just like, yet again, just struggling to build up goals, build up play. I think their front three is good, yeah. but they— from I would say the 30th minute, the rest of the game, the U.S. got it, and they had a couple of opportunities as you talked about. Ochoa made some really huge saves, helping this team. But in the end, when I look at this game, I'm I'm kind of again like you know when you look at these two games with the U.S., I'm just not disappointed, but I'm not content. I'm kind of right in the middle, and that's where I see this team. You know, they started Pepe again as we talked about, but. It just didn't work. Way also played. I thought he's another player that we should have mentioned as well. He's fantastic. On the wing, yeah. right wing, I think he's a he's a player that we could consider as maybe even a starter yeah. as his part right now. But, you know, obviously it was Gio Reyna that had a little bit to talk about there in that second half. But, yes, uh, that Mexico game, it was more for me talking about Mexico's disappointment in the U.S. The U.S., Kind of were at like a, a level five, and they they sort of reached a level six, and then kind of went back to a five. And I thought Mexico never kind of after the first twenty minutes didn't look effective, and we saw that in the game. And look, yes, they dominated possession, but look at look how much they had. They only had eleven shots, only two on goal. Yeah, 
I mean, that's just so inefficient, and that's showing yet again under Tata Martino and the criticism that's come with the Mexican media, he's not getting it done. And a lot of people who are looking to see if this could be the end of Tata Martino. I mean, they're going to make the World Cup, and we might be asking <laughs> if there's another manager. I mean, that's what's going on right now with Mexico. So, But on the other side, the USA, Berhalter's comments, I'm just... I guess, you know, I, I forgot which result it was. Maybe... I forgot what it was, but it was a result, and Greg Berhalter was like, yes, we're happy about this result. And I guess, you know, for me, it's I, I in seem improvement for you. I don't know if you did, but that Mexico game brought a lot. I think this also as well shows, we didn't really talk about the rundown, but this shows a lot about Canada in that. Oh, I put Canada. Oh, we, we'll get into that real quick. In yeah, these two teams. I mean, CONCACAF is, at this point, Canada's been so inconsistent but now there's a young core of players coming up but what does this say about CONCACAF that when USA can go play Panama and win on their day 5-1 yeah but then they come into a game where they're arguably supposed to be a bit of a closer contest and it just kind of flattens out I don't I don't know what this says about USA going forward going into Europe and trying to take those leagues by storm when you can win against the smaller teams when you come against the bigger dogs in this in the world like you just kind of lay down I don't know. I just I I it, it's it's so fascinating because for me I look at this as look uh, right now so Canada yes well we can you know yeah, yeah let's yeah, we'll talk, talk about, about it. let's let's move on to that because Canada and we'll talk about Concacaf as well making their first World Cup since '86. Congratulations to them they Absolutely. well deserve that and yes young core only one loss and it's only their loss before this it was. Uh, their only loss, but they they were outstanding. They played well at home. They got some of the results on the road, and I think that's the biggest thing. Yes, you have some of these young players. Yes, you can do so well at home, but that's the challenge. And I think you've talked to any former U.S. player or former national team player, they tell you it's not their home. It's not the home games. It's those away games. Going to El Salvador, going to Honduras, going to Jamaica, getting results in those environments, that's the difficulty for some of these big teams like Mexico and the U.S. because some of these players are not used to playing those certain climates. So Canada, they didn't do that. They absolutely went on the road. And that's why they're in first place and the likelihood they're going to be the first team. Uh, well, they're going to be in first place because they got results on the road. And I think that's the difference. Mexico hasn't done that. even struggled at home. And the U.S., historically, is not a good road team. Yes, they had a couple of results. I think they got that big win against Honduras on the yeah. road. But other than that, it's a struggle. So I look at it as Canada. They did a good job. Their young players look really well. Afonso Davis, when he comes back, that's a player to watch during the World Tejon Cup. Tejon Buchanan. Tejon yes. Buchanan is going to be incredible. Uh, Jonathan Davis, a, a, a player that I think will also, I don't know if he will make his move now to a big club or even he'll wait until after the World Cup because we see what you know some of these players do with the World Cup and then they go on and, yeah. and making those jumps moves. I'm looking at Canada as a team to watch. I'm looking at this team like really well played, played well against the U.S. I remember that even at, uh, I think in the U.S. they had a, a big win or result. I'm not sure I have to go I back. they tied. Yes. But it was a huge Canada, result. Canada was terrific. And against yeah. Mexico, I mean, every team this Canada played Canada were just on the front foot. So yeah. credit to them. And they made the first World Cup. And, yeah, we'll see what happens, what they can do. But definitely a lot of positive players coming out of that that, that country. Yeah. Um, I mean, really quickly before we mm-hmm. end this, I would go back to Mexico for a second, yeah. too. I think 
correct me if I'm wrong, when did Jimenez come back? Because obviously he had that huge head injury, but I think, I mean, he was a prolific striker before all that that's, happened. That's, that's been the issue and as I think, well. I think that's one of the main things is that they haven't, they're, they're playing him. Yes. But they're not getting the same amount of goals, and it, he just keeps getting red carded too in like every other game, especially for Wolves. Yeah. It's like a streak, like he just doesn't look... Doesn't look right. Doesn't look like the same. I guess that's the question with Mexico as well. It's not only that they're not scoring goals uh, or or conceding goals, excuse me, but Jimenez has just his level is completely dropped. And I think this is not his fault though, because that that was a horrific injury. But you also see the lack, how much he was carrying that team when he was healthy. And now it's the it's the goals have dried up for him. And it's dried up at this point because I think it's more psychological. I think he's like he looks completely fit, but. It's the psychological that's kind of yeah. maybe affecting him. But also, a player that we need to talk about, Ben, Chucky Lozano. I mean, let's <laughs> let's not let's 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 put it out there. Like yeah. he's a player, played let's, terrific, scored a goal against Germany in the last World Cup. We thought he would be this next player. He, he makes makes the move to Napoli, and now he comes back, and it's just he. I don't know where that player is. I I understand that he he's just not the same player either. I think. Oh, we could talk about Jimenez as one player, but Chucky Lozano was a player that... He was supposed to be one of the best in the world. He, he, he was yeah. a fearful uh, attacker, and now I, I just don't see that anymore from him. I mean, I feel like it's just like when you're in these smaller leagues, because where, where was he before, Portugal? Was that it? Yeah, he. I believe, no, he was, yes. Was he in Portugal? Yes. I, wherever he was, yes. it, it's not as big as the Serie A. When you're in these PSV. smaller... PSV. PSV, PSV thank mm-hmm. you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's same kind of thing, though. When you're in these smaller leagues and you're dominating, you yes. feel like you're on top of the world and nothing can stop you. Mm-hmm. And when he's in the national team doing that, it's the same kind of thing where he's getting all this confidence from his club level, yeah. and it's just translating in. When you go to a league like Napoli and yeah. you're coming up against all these big-time defenders, it's just like your confidence is gone because then you start psychologically mm-hmm. you're like, am I as good as I thought I was? Can I still do these things in this league? Yeah. Obviously, the talent's there, but it's just like... It's a psychological thing, and I think you're right. I don't think we're seeing that anymore. I'm looking at it right now. Nine starts in World Cup qualifying for Chucky Lozano. One goal, one assist. Was it, even, it probably was a penalty. I would assume it was a penalty. I can't remember. One goal, one assist That's for a crazy. player that... I mean, let's not forget the World Cup. I mean, I, I know it's it's like four years ago now, but yeah. still, I mean, he he's just not. He doesn't seem like that same player nah. that he once was. And I think that, again, it talks about the Mexico national team is... Yes, they're bringing in, you know, they're always going to bring in young talent, yeah. but it also the stars they have in right now are just not delivering, and that's the problem. And and maybe we can also give some criticism to Tata Martina. I know always they, they'll, they'll always criticize the manager, but at the same time, let's also keep an eye on the, those players that we talk about. I think the only guy that's probably playing well is Jesus Corona. Yeah. You know, he's playing well at Sevilla. I mean, he's a winger as well, so I obviously... It's he really knows his play. role, though. But he knows his role. Exactly. Yeah. He knows his role. But I think he's probably their best player. Herrera, a lot of people have criticized him, too, <laughs> because he plays so well. Atletico Madrid, he comes with the Mexican national team, and it's just he, he's completely different. And then Mexico's defense is, as well has been an issue all, all like, year-round. So, I, yeah, there's so many issues with this Mexican national team. And I just don't know where they're gonna go. Yes, they're gonna make it to the World Cup, but the always the question is for a lot of Mexico fans is can they get to the quinto partido, the fifth game? Yeah. And it's it's just <laughs> I I'm not even sure to go back to group stage yeah, if they continue uh, to play like this. So that's gonna be a huge question with this Mexico team. Yeah. 
I mean, we'll find out what's going to happen, <laughs> but they'll make the World Cup. We know that. They're likely going to make the World Cup. The USA also likely going to make it to the World Cup. Yeah. The the fourth place, it's going to be likely Costa Rica back at it. I mean, they have to play and still have yeah. to play their international game, uh, intercontinental playoff game. And, yeah, we'll find out. But I think what we've learned from qualifying is that if you can win on the road, you as it. Canada has shown, and you have talented players like Afonso Davis, Yes, you can absolutely do it. And congratulations, Canada. They'll win the first place, as I mentioned before, and they are in Qatar. So we'll talk about much more of Canada as we can. Coming back, now getting into Europe, World Cup qualifying. I mean, some humongous, Ben, humongous results that happen. We got to start with one of the biggest ones of the week. (laughs) Italy. Losing to North Macedonia, one nothing. I mean, it was a last-minute goal and just a shocker to everybody. Yeah. Just again, football—you just never know what's gonna happen. You always have to watch it till the end. And North Macedonia. Let me repeat that: North <laughs> Macedonia defeats Italy. The European champions are out of Qatar, out of two straight World Cups. They haven't qualified. Haven't gotten off the group stage since 2006. I mean, some crazy stats have always popped up for Italy. But what was your, what was, what was your reaction from Italy not making it to the World Cup? Italy is so weird to me because they, like you said, they do so well. But then you look at the team that they put out, and there's nothing special about it. My biggest note was that when I watch Italy, I don't. There's no creativity going forward. Uh, defensively, they're okay, and goalkeeper Gianluigi Donnarumma is one of the best in the world, so he's fine. But, like, the midfield, when you're playing Jorginho, Verratti, and Barea, mm-hmm. I I look at that, and obviously we've praised Verratti in the past few yes. weeks about how he can be that creative player, but I don't see them as any, like, a traditional 6-8-10. I just see them as three sixes, and that's just not going to get it done for you. Yeah. And when you're relying on the likes of Chiro Moble and Lorenzo Insigne up front, mm-hmm. it, there's just not that much creativity. They don't have a proven goal scorer other than Chiro, and even that, his track record with Italy has not been the best. He no. had that one season where he won the Golden Boot in Europe, I think, two years ago. Yeah. Um, but apart from that, like, who who else is there? Obviously, we talked about Balotelli was going to get in the camp, and then I mean, it, yeah. it was going to be insane if he was. If, I mean, maybe he could have done something. Maybe, but yeah. There's just no. There's nothing going forward, and Chiesa. A huge loss in a name that needs to be brought up that when he's not there, where's the creativity coming from? Even Insigne is going to go gonna go to Toronto soon, I guess. So, mm-hmm. like, it, it, he's, he's not going to be sharp heading into the World Cup, I don't think, um, just playing in the MLS. So where are Italy going to get their creativity? And as well as you've won the Euros, but Roberto Mancini, is he gone after this? No, I think he will stay. You think so? Yes, because of the Euros. I, it was so quickly, the Euros to the World Cup qualifying that it's. I just don't think it would be the right move. But on your point of of Italy, Thierry Mobley, I looked at right now, two goals in qualifying for a player that you mentioned. I mean, he's a, a terrific goal scorer with with uh, just Lazio. Lazio, like, yes, yes, he he's terrific. I think this season, looking at it right now, twenty one goals, two assists. And he only has two goals for Italy. I mean, it's insane yeah. when to look at that. But then on your point with Italy, I think defensively, as you mentioned, I think they're they're fine. They're fine. Goalkeeper wise, Donnarumma is fine. Marco Verratti, I think 
is fine as well. Now let's get to the attackers. I think this has been the issue with Italy for a very long time. Years. Once upon a time, this team, when they won the World Cup, so many options. Totti. Uh, they had Del Luca Piero. Toni, Del Piero. Was Zola in there? I believe that. I mean, if you want, you can check I, that, I, that. That 2006 team you. was absolutely, yeah, was stacked with so many prolific strikers. And now, you know, we look at this team and we're kind of asking ourselves of, okay, where are they getting the goals? Because they create so many chances. I, even that game against North Macedonia, they had plenty of chances, but they just don't have that guy and as we mentioned before, even with Mexico, <laughs> bringing it up again, is Italy, even in the Euros, they had struggled. They were a little bit lucky against Spain. They had a, a counterattack that led to their first goal. And then Alvaro Morata ties it. They go to penalties and they, you know, they beat off Spain. But that game could have flipped. It could have been, could have been Spain that could have made it in that final. And who knows what happened against Spain in, 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 in England. Who knew? But Italy are a team that, they failed against, uh, I have to look in their schedule, but they had moments where they just dropped points, yeah. dropped points, and they just were struggling to just win and even score goals. I just look at this team as defensively, they're good. I know historically, I know how the Italians want to play. They are keeping their shape, playing very practical, and scoring on the counterattack. Now, you could do that. It's fine. It works. You know, if you got the quality in your midfield defense, yes, but you also need that quality final product from a player that they don't have. And so if you're asking Chile Modi to get that goal, I don't think he's gonna I just don't two goals. That's that's for a player who scores twenty one goals this season? <laughs> two goals? I think he's Come a little, on. I think he's a little bit of a fluke if we're being real. Do you remember him playing at Dortmund? Yes. And he was terrible. And then he's And Sevilla he went and made his move to Sevilla. And then he was even No. Like, he's he, I, I'm glad he he found a place in, 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 in Serie A. And he just didn't pan out, and he just hasn't worked out. I'm just, I, you know, I, I was thinking he was going to be that guy, especially, you know, once he raised this game. Yeah. But it's just, that's been the problem with Italy. They just cannot find that player. And I think Fabrizio Romeo talked about this, and I don't know, I want to hear your opinion on this, Ben. He said they, the problem with Italy is that they only have two world-class players, uh, Donnarumma and Verratti. And when you look at any all over the other positions, they don't have a world-class player. I don't know what you think about that, but I mean, I, it's a fair argument when you yeah. look at the roster and look at the, the the squad they have. You could make the case for Chiellini. Obviously, he's super. He's, uh, he's super. I, I, I guess. I guess maybe. But but I agree with you. I think to take it a step further, in terms of attacking wise. I don't know what I don't know what goes on behind the scenes from what we see. Yeah. But when you're looking at out from the outside looking in as an observation point, the attackers are not the best person at like Balotelli, Moiskin, they've all had problems yeah. with off the field problems, which is why they're not in the squad. Yeah. And I think that's been a consistent theme over the last few years of these strikers just can't figure out how to gel with the players and they mm-hmm. think they're above everyone else. Yep. So it's just I don't know. I I honestly, I would agree with you. I don't think there's many world class. I think Chiesa could get there. Yes. Potential wise, he could. But right now, no. Um, Locatelli was also another big, big name that was supposed to jump in, but he hasn't. Yeah, he hasn't he, he's been another player that again he's I think also goes with form. But they they called John Mario. I mean, John Pedro, another player that I think he he switched nationalities and yeah. he got called at 30 years old, the first time he ever got capped, and he comes in. 
against North Macedonia in the must win? I mean, I guess maybe you could have, as you talked about before, maybe it could have been Balotelli. Again, at this point, that tells you where Italy is. That they need to call in a second league French player to come in and play. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I mean, that's just completely insane. So, you know, when you look at this team, there's so many holes. I know know they won the Euros. I mean, listen, let's also not forget they beat England by penalties. It wasn't like... You know, they were outplaying these teams. Yes, maybe they had a couple moments where they actually were brilliant. You know, we talk about Federico Chiesa. I think that would make a difference as well. But still, they were shaky, even in the Euros. You could say whatever you want about, yes, they're the European champions, but they're out of Russia. I mean, excuse me, Qatar. So, for me, it's very disappointing to be a, a fan of Italy. I mean, it's incredible that you are the European champions and you're not even going to the World Cup. I mean, it just, it just shows you how much also that the small teams you never want to mess around yeah. with. You try to punch them in the face and get it done because you just never know. We saw that also in the Euros with some of these teams doing <laughs> to the big teams. And that's football for you. And then things can happen. I think North, North Macedonia just got a, a crazy result, and it's unbelievable. But it's shocking to just yeah. see Italy not out of the World Cup. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to Portugal. They get a 3-1 win over Turkey. Cristiano Ronaldo's hopes of staying in <laughs> one more World Cup is still alive. He still has to one more game to go. But uh, performance from Portugal, 3-1 win. Some moments where you kind of thought the game could have changed with a penalty from yeah. Turkey. But in the end, Portugal events. What, what do you say about that, Ben? I think it's Portugal's bracket. I think it's their next game when they go to the North, North Macedonia, it's their game to lose. Uh, um, I mean, listen, I, I, I don't know what to say if North Macedonia <laughs> do, do something against uh, Portugal, but yeah, go ahead. What I what I will say yeah. is that Portugal for a long time haven't had a striker. When you look at their last Euro win, it was a dare that came on and scored the goal. Mm. I think now, with Diego Jota, this is my biggest note, I think he is the future of Portugal mm. up top, especially, I mean, you have Trincao and Neto kind of in and out with a bit of form dipping, but yeah, Jota comes in, scores once again for Portugal, um, and I think that's his position to lose. I think they're when you looked at Portugal of old, it was like you think of Fabio Contrao and then Pepe, uh, Pepe, uh, mm-hmm. even like the likes of oh God, well, Montinho. Montinho obviously yeah, played, played in this game, but, but, but uh, Patricio, all these guys that yeah. are older presence, and now they're seeing the next generation come up. And it's an exciting generation of players. So yes. I'm happy with how Portugal looked in this game. I think it's a big statement when I did come on and say I think Turkey was going to come up and upset them. But like I said, it's it's Portugal's group to lose. Yes. Uh, you made some great points. Cristiano Ronaldo, I think, you know, there was a criticism of him, you know, playing the full 90. But I think, again, for a player like that in these kind of games, you just got to keep. You just never know. And as you mentioned, I think Jago Jota has been just terrific for the national team. They have so much depth in this Portugal team. They have Bernardo Silva. They got um, Joao Felix. They have uh, Bruno Fernandes. I mean, you know, even the defense, you know, I think Ruben Ronaldo Diaz. Ronaldo Sanchez as well. Yeah, Ronaldo Sanchez. I mean, Ruben Diaz wasn't even there, and yeah. he's coming back. I mean, um, Delat is another player. You know, they have so much talent. They have so much youth into this team. Andre Silva, another player that we have to mention as well. And for me, I mean, I looked at this Portugal team. I think the problem we had before, and I mentioned this, is for um, Fernando Santos, the way they play. Yeah. I think this team, honestly, should not play so practical at times. I feel like this team has so much more to give. They have a lot of creativity. 
creativity, creativity. and they just like they play a certain style that you know as you mentioned the euros they play that same style to now and i think they have to change to the way their players are 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 now when you look at this team i just believe this team has so much talent and they should be so much better they shouldn't even be in this qualifying playoff round but they are because they're the way they play sometimes that result they get has led to this and but yes they should be mass north macedonia but again you know you got cristiano ronaldo his potential last world cup we all know what's gonna happen but portugal have to win have yeah. to it's a must win the pressure's on portugal diego jota he's talking about i'll let i'll he's a great player i think he's a player of the future starting nine you know it's weird how he plays he plays like kind of like a, a central forward but then he's right there at the right time to score these goals so but he's a player that I think fits well with Cristiano so I'm all in Portugal got a huge a break as well that missed penalty that could have changed the game <laughs> yeah. but they got the win they advanced they're going to play North Macedonia and we'll see what happens but heading into the World Cup if they get into the World Cup a question mark is going to be made is can this team not play practical? Can it be more attractive and kind of let the potential of some of these young players go and, and let them show what they got? And I think that's kind of the issue with Portugal. Yeah, I think it's a little bit too late to change the system. Yeah, um, I, I don't think they're yeah. going to do it, but it's been the issue. So yeah. other results that happened, uh, Sweden get a one nothing win over Czech Republic. Wales, whoa, Gareth Bale with a huge performance, gets a, a, a tremendous free kick. And Wales win 2-1 over Austria. But the big news, Ben, is that Gareth Bale went on social media. Good for him. Good for him. <laughs> and just completely went off on the Madrid media because, I mean, he's been a, a player that's been highly critici- criticized for such a long time. And to see him perform well and then afterwards just coming out and saying all this, I mean, good for Bale. But what was – I mean, incredible – the news with Gary Bell. I mean, it's just a player that just a lot of criticism for a player that's accomplished a lot. Yeah, I think when you look at, I don't know where I saw it, but the other day when you compare Gareth Bale's accomplishments around Madrid to other players, he is one of the most polished Real Madrid it's, it's, players it's incredible. I've ever seen. It is. Um, I mean, obviously he came in. I think the problem here is that Ronaldo left and everyone was like, this is the guy to step up yes. now. And he didn't live up to that. He wasn't living up to it before Ronaldo left. So it's the, kind of the same thing with Eden Hazard, who's just yeah. a ghost at that club. But, like, good for Gareth Bale. That's all I can say. I mean, he's been criticized so much in the media, like you were talking about. He goes out, does super well at yeah. Tottenham last year, and then everyone's like... Yeah, he didn't have... Compared to what he did prior, I mean, he did pretty well at Tottenham. I thought he had... I genuinely, when he was on the field, he was the difference maker for yeah. Tottenham when Kane was performing well, and I think that's kind of... Kind of what it goes back to where if Harry Kane's informed, the players around him are going to be informed because Kane was playmaking all last yeah. year rather than so. Right. But when Gareth Bale comes out and does that, it's like, what does he have to lose at this point either? That's the, I think that's why he's so, done it. So for me, when I look at it, I, I look at it two ways. Okay. The Madrid way and then the, the way Gareth Bale's thinking. And the Madrid way is, you know, he, he could do this with Wales. Why he can't do this with us? But Garrett Bale, for a very long time, he's ta- I think he's even talked about this when he was at Tottenham, about the Spanish media were on him. Oh, they, yeah. And they, they just, you know, they find a way and they just do whatever they do to cri- be critical of him. But I understand the criticism in one aspect because 
he he looks like a player that when he's feeling it is one of the best in the world. Best in the world. But the yeah. problem is is when he's feeling it. That's that's the issue. Like when he's not feeling it, he's just out of invisible. You don't even notice him on the field. And I think he's kind of a player that he he's won so much the desire to play at that level is a little different for him. Yeah. And for me, when I look at it, I mean, he, I think obviously when you play for your national team, it's just completely different than your club yeah. team. But, I mean, good for, yeah, as you mentioned, good for Bale because he came back and responded. He's won everything at Real Madrid. Everything. Multiple times. Multiple <laughs> Champions crazy. League. Scored the game-winning goal against Liverpool. The goal against Barcelona over Marc Bartra. Yeah. I mean, that was incredible. He's done so much. I mean, I think that's the one thing. I understand Real Madrid are just, you know, they always want to win. But to go after a player historically, as you mentioned. He's one of the best that's ever done it for Real Madrid. He, for the, on, on the, the amount of, pro, of, of of that price tag, when he made that move to Real Madrid, at the time it was the most uh, expensive player in the history of, of football. He lived up to that. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. He lived up to what he did at Tottenham as well. So... For two I, or three years, too. He was incredible. I mean, he was part of BBC yeah. once upon a time. I mean, he was part of that. And I think that's the one thing that Real Madrid fans and media just forget sometimes. It's just he's done it. He's 32 years old. He Obviously, he's not in his prime anymore. He's not that player. And I understand, you know, sometimes some players are like that. You know, they win everything. They're just laying back a little bit. Like, that's sometimes not how it works. But you can't be critical of these players sometimes just because they're just not performing. You know? Just remember what he did to. I think sometimes it's talked about, like, I remember when Chabi, you know, his last season, he, or even pr- years prior when he was critical. And sometimes he's talked about it just comes up being a Barcelona player. But yeah. you got to remember, these players, they've done so much for you. And I think when he leaves, it just, it just it makes me feel bad because he did so much for that club and just to leave in those kind of terms and to come back at the media. It's 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 an unbelievable story. It's it's unbelievable. I, I I'm telling you, this, this might be something that a thirty for thirty or or some crazy story would come out about this because he's a player. I understand he's not Spanish. He doesn't speak the language. I mean he's from he's from Wales, but still he definitely is a player that I mean deserves a lot more credit for what he did at Real Madrid. All right, so we'll leave it there. But before we get to that, let's get to the previews for Thursdays, the 29th. We'll find out who will be making the World Cup. First matchup, Ben, Poland, Sweden. Who do you got? Poland. Easy. And and I will give a reason why Lewandowski is just too good. To, he can carry, I think he okay. can. There's not many players that can carry okay. the team. He is one of those. And also Adam Buxa from the Revolution is up there. He'll probably start. He did get a hat trick against Lewandowski, but yeah, um, I don't know. I just don't see enough of Poland or Sweden going forward where I think they have the shot to win this game. Ooh. I think Poland got it. I mean, it would be sad to see Lewandowski, but I'm going with Sweden. I think Sweden, okay. as we they, they did at the World Cup. I think the way they play, I think they'll get the results. I have the young talent. They're a very good team. I like this team. I like the Sweden team. I think they get in as well. Portugal, North Macedonia, as we talked about. Who wins, Ben? Who go to Qatar? I said Portugal. You know what? No, I'm gonna do it. North Macedonia. No, win. stop. No. I think I think they just have nothing to lose, and Portugal have everything to lose. Not only do they have a World Cup to lose out on, but they have their no. probably one of their greatest ever players to ever do it for their shirt is gonna go down with them. No, if they, I think there's too much on the line for Portugal where they're they're going into this game. We're going to win this game, yep. and that's their mindset. 
when that happens, things start to slip defensively. Yeah. You start to give up things. North Macedonia can go into this game and say, we have nothing to lose. Yep. It'll, if anything, if they win, it'll be a one-goal game, and it'll most likely be like a set piece, maybe a penalty. But I don't know. I think North Macedonia genuinely could do it. Okay. I mean, I... <laughs> okay. All right, we'll see when we come back on the next week, and we'll find out if you're right or wrong. I'll be wrong. I don't mind. You know what? I don't mind. In this situation, it's yeah, this yeah, I don't I mean, mind being wrong. I mean, but if North Macedonia beat Somehow Portugal and Italy, oh, my goodness. It's a Cinderella story. It's better than St. Peter's making. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the best comparison I was going to make. If you know, if, you, if you're watching college basketball, that is probably one of the craziest stories. St. <laughs> Peter's making it to the Elite Eight, but, I mean, North Macedonia, I mean, that would be one hell of a story, but... Definitely, that is a matchup to watch. And then, obviously, you know, Ukraine can't play right now. So their game got postponed. So Wales have to wait until that's sorted out. So they have to wait until that qualifier goes in that final playoff game. So we'll see what happens there. But we'll leave it there. I mean, an incredible European qualifiers and to make it to the World Cup. Uh, when we come back, we'll get into the South America World Cup and see who's made it to Qatar. Coming back. Comba boy, we got South America qualifying. We have Brazil, Argentina, Ecuador, Uruguay, all qualified to the World Cup, Ben. Uh, I kind of listed to you on some of the matches that be happening in the final week. I think I also sent you some of the teams that are left. Colombia and Peru pretty much yeah. are going to be fighting for that final spot. But my bigger question for you, which team has the best chance to win the 2022 Qatar World Cup. I mean, Brazil dominated guy, yeah. qualifying. Argentina, one of the hottest teams in, in, in international football. Uruguay, we know what they can do. Ecuador, obviously a team that you never know can make yeah. a run as well. But which team do you think has the best chance to win? I mean, you said Argentina is one of the hottest teams. Yeah. I, I genuinely, I think recently we haven't seen, like when you look at Argentina earlier, it would be like, Nicola Otamendi, Martin Dimachelis, like all these guys in the back that you just don't know what you're going to get out of them, but they have a solidified team going forward. And I think one of the names that we brought up that will be an X factor in this World Cup and will be one of the best players there, Rodrigo DePaul. I think he is going to have a fantastic tournament, and I think he's going to be the difference maker, especially as well you talk about Messi hasn't been in the best form lately, and they're still one of the best teams in the world right now. So if they can get him going, and they have all these players around him, I yeah. think it's it's their tournament to lose. And then obviously they did make it to the finals last time. I I don't know. I could see other teams upsetting them, but like I think from especially from South America, it's Argentina's tournament to lose. I think Argentina are gonna be the team to watch. I think they're gonna be one of the favorites. It it just I look at Brazil historically that they, they have a standard in which they I think they'll always make it to the knockout round yeah. and you know, they'll make it they haven't made it to a semi since 2002, which is an incredible stat to look at that team. And Argentina, Messi, I think this is his best chance, which is weird to say because he's probably not at his best right now. But when if, you look he, at, if he gets it going, it's... I mean, he. I when you look at it, his prime, yeah, Ronaldo's the same way. You can see right now, and I think a lot of people are noticing that they're, you know, Messi and Ronaldo are no longer what they were. And this World Cup, I think people expect Messi to be Maradona of '86. I don't think that's gonna be. He doesn't need to do that because I think this is 
Argentina's best team since probably, maybe you can arguably say since 2006. Yeah. That Argentina team in 2006 was incredible. Riquelme, Ver, um, Juan Sebastián Verón, they had uh, Crespo, they had Chapiola. I mean, they had a, 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 an incredible team in 2006. Then they lost to uh, Germany, which obviously, you know, we know what happened there. I think this is their best chance. Rodrigo De Paul, as you talked about, been a very crucial player. I think when you also look at this team, um, I mean, I'm blanking right now, but uh, Lotavo Martinez has yeah. been also a player that has helped this team. And defensively, they're they're much more in a better shape. You know, they have a leader in, in Christian Romeo who's much better. And then they have uh, a goalie that can they actually rely Emmy. on. Emmy. Emmy. He's been terrific. Martinez <laughs> has been absolutely great for this team. Yeah. So from when I look at this team, their positions that they once were missing, I think they figured it out. They found some of these players. They have some continuity with the manager. Messi feeling very happy there. They finally won the Copa America. They kind of uh, token some of that shoulders off of him for not winning the trophy with Argentina. And I think this team will have a little less pressure. Obviously, Messi will have the most pressure because he's one of the great players that's never won a World Cup. And so that pressure will always be on him. But when I look at this team, this team has its best chance to win the World Cup. I think Argentina, Argentina do. Brazil obviously will be there, but I think Argentina are better. Yeah. And I think this is their best shot. Depending on how the groups, and we right now we don't know who's who, but I think this team really messy. It's going to be Messi's best opportunity since probably yeah. 2006, which he was, was 18, 17 years old. Because in 2010, they I, I think he was still raw. Yeah. 2014, he made it to the finals. Um, heartbreak. <laughs> heartbreak. In 2018, we know what happened. You know, completely just, it was shambles between all yeah. parties. And now coming back, this is probably his best chance to win. So I we'll see what happens. But I, I think Argentina has probably the best chance out of those teams in South America to make yeah. a huge run in, in, in South America. I mean, in Qatar. But when you look at it, yeah, it's going to be tough. To see how Messi's gonna do. I mean, I will. I also a, a thing that also we need to talk about is Messi's future because he also, when Messi talked about, is what's gonna happen to him after the World Cup because he went on saying some words and Messi doesn't really talk that often. Ben, I mean, he's a very quiet player, but when he talks, we listen. Yeah. And so he came out and he talked about you know the future of what he's going to say after Qatar, and he said this, I don't know what I will do after the World Cup. I'm thinking about what is coming. After Qatar, I will have to reassess many things. And a lot of people were put in the doubt of potentially leaving football, retiring. I mean, what's your uh, take on Messi's comments and what he said about his future in football? I, he's setting the stage for him to win the World Cup and retire. I think that's all this is. So if you're saying if he wins, so he he thinks if he wins the World Cup, he's done. I think so. I think that's what he's setting the stage for. I think all. <laughs> <laughs> it's like one of those things where it's like it's like I don't know what I'm gonna do. Like and then he, like if he loses, it's like the yeah. ultimate redemption story where he comes back. I think genuinely, I think he leaves PSG. And Xavi has been very open about. It. You think he's? Oh, I think Xavi's. I feel. Like, I mean, tell me, Xavi's been very vocal about like, yeah, like Messi, like if he ever wants to come yeah. back, like I'll have him. So I think he's setting the stage for a big summer if he loses. But if he wins, it's like the ultimate Cinderella story where he does like it's the perfect way to end it. And I think that's what he's setting the stage for. I mean, when I saw these comments, I, I think it's going to be quite interesting. I, 
I think when I saw these first comments, I was thinking, you know, it's going to be about Argentina. He's yeah. retired once and then come back again. And I'm like, all right. But then when I read into what he said, it, this was about football. This wasn't about Argentina and the national team. It was about football. And I agree with you. I, I just think he feels happy. He's content. And if he wins that World Cup, has nothing else to prove. He's won yep. every single trophy individually, uh, collectively, everything. But one trophy, low World Cup. And that's probably the one that, as I think many people have talked about, it's the one trophy that everybody will probably say that's the trophy he has won and that's why he's not the greatest player of all time, yeah. whatever you want to say. I think obviously Messi and Ronaldo are in the same ballpark, but when it comes to pressure at a World Cup, Messi is in a different stratosphere yeah. because he plays for Argentina, because of what Maradona did. It's just incredible what the pressure it is for this player from Argentina. I just think, yeah, I just, I don't know if he's going to retire. I just don't think he'll do that. You could say this now, and then later on you just kind of come back and do <laughs> it. But when you win, I, I agree. When he lost in 2014, I said to myself, he ain't going back to a World Cup final. You know, People don't understand how hard it is to make oh, yeah. a World Cup final back-to-back. It's hard. It's every four years. It's not like the you know like it's the NBA finals. Squad completely. Yeah, true. it's not a it's not a it's not a like the NBA finals. You can come back or even make it to the Super Bowl, which is also hard as well. But a World Cup every four years. Yeah, players change, managers change, the game changes. Yeah. I mean, it's completely different. So, yeah, this is his last opportunity. If he wins, he turns thirty-five in June. Hmm. He's always said he wants to come back and play, maybe in USA or even going back to Argentina. So. I'm not sure, and maybe he's saying that as well because he doesn't like it in Paris, maybe. But yeah. I don't think he's coming back to Barcelona. I didn't read through that. I understand what Chabi's saying, but I think he's general on that when he re- when he said that because obviously, you know, what are you going to say? You're going to say we don't want him back? I mean, yeah. he's, greatest, he's the greatest <laughs> player in the club. So uh, it's incredible, but, you know, you're probably right. I mean, if he wins that World Cup. He's done. Yeah, he's done. <laughs> but he still has a year left of his contract, so it's going to be so fascinating to see how that works. But... Yeah, if he wins that World Cup, he's done. Uh, we'll leave it there. Incredible story. There's one more team that's going to make it to the World Cup uh, from South America, either Colombia or Peru. Peru got robbed. Out of those two teams, Ben, who do you think will qualify? I know the Colombians are all rooting for Luis Diaz to get in, and then Peru wants to, of course, spoil the party and do what they do and kind of shake things up. So what do you think about that? I think it's just Peru. Peru. I, I really do. They got the point ahead, but also I think Peru is more of a solidified team. Like yeah. It's, like I, I don't like whereas Colombia, like like you said, Luis Diaz, like I see a standout name. Yes. Yeah. I think Peru is more of a team's team. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Um, and when you have that, where no one's like kind of better than the other, and they're just kind of pushing together, I think it's it's. Peru's so Peru team. will play Paraguay, and then Venezuela will play against Colombia. Whew. I, 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 still think, I, I still think it's Peru. I, I, I think Colombia. Okay. Based Because I think they can beat Venezuela. I mean, Venezuela are home. So, again, I mean, t- these games are so unpredictable. They'll yeah. play until the last game. But, hmm, I think Colombia get it done. I uh. think Luis Diaz will see him at the <laughs> World Cup. Or, or we'll, we'll, I mean, I think that's the, the international playoff spot. But, likely, Luis Diaz, we can see him at the World Cup. I think Colombia get it done. And we'll see how the Colombians celebrate. <laughs> but we'll leave it there when we come back. We'll get into our new segment called Top 11, a segment we created only during the international break, and we'll probably do this only during that period of time. 
and we'll give our starting 11, and we'll explain to you much more right after this break. Coming back, top 11, we'll explain what this is. So me and Ben, we had a conversation, and I was like, well, we need another topic because it's kind of slow right now. Not a lot of football games happening due to the international play. And I said to myself, let's come up with a, a segment that could be creative. So what we're going to do is you're going to give your all-time 11 for Manchester City. I'm going to give my all-time starting 11 for Barcelona. And we're going to kind of go back and forth from how we think about both lists, all right? So we're going to oh do that. Hand. All right. So you want to go first? I I'll love go first. You know what? We'll go. We'll go. We'll do this. We want to go back and forth? Eleven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So we'll just kind of run through it quickly. Um, I think the fan, I think as well the listeners can vote. Once okay. we put this up, we'll put a little poll up and we'll see okay. who has the better team. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Oh um, yeah, yeah. We'll do this. Go ahead. So I think mine is, for Man City. I've done. Obviously, like we were talking about before, I think Man City are the best they've ever been. Yes. Um. So I've kind of picked mine as who I've seen play for Man City and who I yeah. think is the best. So like. Steven Ireland is not going to be in there. Shea Given, all these. They're not Shane the best Given. Um, Oh, yeah, Steven Ireland. So I got, I kind of want a 4 2 2 2. Um, formation doesn't really matter, but okay. goalie, Joe Hart. Okay. I think that's super, like, when you're looking at City all time, like, two Premier Leagues, FA Cup, um, played with England with the national team. In his prime, he was one of the best goalkeepers in the Premier League, so easy decision. Right back, Zabaleta. No right back has done for, done as well as Zabaleta. You can make the case for Kyle Walker very recently, but Zabaleta's play alongside mm. the center back partner that I have next to him, it was just incredible. Um, and he came into a Pep Guardiola system when he cleared out everyone. Zabaleta was one of the only ones to stay because he was able to change his play to yeah. not just that kind of like up and down the wing player, but a player yeah. who can play possessionally, drop it in the midfield. So I have him. It's not a Man City team if you don't say Vincent Company, Captain Company. One of the greatest ever center backs in the Premier League. Def- obviously, he had his injury troubles come the end of his time, but he's just incredible. A name I don't think you're going to agree with. I've gone Ruben Diaz. I think what he's done for Man City in this year, no one's ever been able to do. Not just his play, but how he's able to bring the likes of John Stones, Nathan Ake, Almeric Laporte. He's able to bring those guys around him to their best that they've ever played to. His leadership, we've seen him get the armband within a, a month of him being there, so kind of an easy decision there. And I've gone for a very traditional left back. Alexander Kolarov is my mm. left back. I think that while okay, everyone sees okay. him as the guy with the free kicks and the guy who can just pass the ball, he was so much more with his overlap play. He could play on left wing at certain points, and he was able to do that well. So as being a very good one-on-one defender. So Alexander Kolarov. Ooh, it's well, it's it, it, I, I will say this. I'm happy you took Zabaleta. I think Zabaleta, Joe Hart. I actually wanted to ask you this question because okay. you don't think right now Edison is a top goalkeeper all the time. I mean, he's well, I, won two Premier League titles. I mean, he's pretty much accomplished as much as Hart has accomplished in his career with Manchester City. So I just wanted to bring it up to you. Edison is elevated by his foot skill. And okay. that's right now, that's what you need as a goalkeeper. Five or six years ago, you didn't need that. You needed mm-hmm. reflexes, and you just need to be able to save the ball. And it didn't matter yeah. how the ball got to the strikers. As long as it, you could punt it there, mm-hmm. that was fine. Um, Joe Hart, I just think, especially when I look at think about Joe Hart, I think about, obviously we think about that time in England when he screamed at the kid to give him yeah. the ball. But like yeah. in terms of being a leader on the field, I don't right. see Ederson as that type of leader. Mm-hmm. I see Joe Hart as 
when you're looking at your defense and you hear someone yelling, it's Joe Hart telling you how to do things. Yeah. I just don't see that from Ederson. No knock on Ederson. I love yeah. him, but I think in his prime, Joe Hart was one of the best in the Premier League. All right. My 11, I'm going to go 4-3-3, obviously Barcelona, yeah. all-time. And it's quite interesting because I actually did really big research on this. And my conclusion is it's a lineup I saw in my lifetime. So I'm very glad and I'm happy to see it. So goalie, there's obviously, you know, there's Mark Andre Ter Stegen's the one that's the number one. But once upon a time, the number one belonged to Victor. Pinto. Oh, no. Victor Valdez. <laughs> yes, another one had one three, but not the one I'm looking at. It is Victor Valdez. I think Victor Valdez, he's probably the most accomplished goalkeeper of all time. He's the goalie that's been there in all those different eras. He was there. Uh, Frank Reichard. He was there under Pep Guardiola. He was there with, uh, I believe uh, he was even with, not Luis Enrique, but he was there with um, Tito Villanova. He was there and transcended different errors. And so I think he's a goalie that completely changed his game because he wasn't a, a guy to play on his feet, as you mentioned. He was a guy that punted, and then when Guardiola came, he actually had to play on his feet. I think he's a goalie. He wasn't a world-class goalie, and Barcelona historically hasn't had any world-class goalies and I, I think when you look at it he's the most accomplished and so I'm gonna go with Joe Victor Valdez Victor Valdez is my number one my right back I think it's pretty obvious I think you know who it is it's a, a player who's <laughs> once upon a time was so great was just big at Barcelona and now he's returned and he's you know he's been just uh, amazing to watch again and that's Donny Alves Arguably the greatest right back all time. He's the greatest Barcelona all time. And so I would go with him. Then I would go with Carlos Puyol. I mean, he is my favorite defender all time. I probably have to go with him. And then I I listen. I love every defender. I I get it. You know, Puyol, the way he defended and being the leader of a team he was part, again, part of that golden generation of Barcelona, played and scored that crucial goal against Germany yep. in that World Cup. But he was a player that just was a leader. And I think that's, even today, we still haven't seen a leader just like Carlos Puyol. I think he's one of those generational leaders, and I think he was just terrific in his prime. Four, Franco with Gerard Piqué. He's a player that I kind of was like, uh, I mean, I get it. You know, he's the successor to um, Puyol, but... His resume speaks for itself. He's had over, I believe, over 500 career games. I mean, he's won everything as well, including World Cup. So that's a name as well. And then for the left back position, you know, everybody wants to think. We're kind of thinking, yes, you know, it's probably maybe Jordi Alba. But I think there's a name we forget. And I think there's a player that I think deserves to be it. And that's Eric Abidal. Yep, I was going to say that. Yeah, Eric Abidal. I mean, he was also part of those golden generation teams but when I look at their historically I mean he not only changed his game he was a player that I mean he started in all those three I'm not well he didn't start the last one but in those final games he was just terrific he's a player who was so versatile on the ball on the feet and he's he was just solid he was just a solid I know Jordi Alba will probably get some love but let's not forget Eric Abidal was one of those players that's just solid. And so I'll go with him. And in the midfield, I mean, this is probably the, probably the easiest out of the three. Xabi, Iniesta, and Sergio Busquets. 
mentioned mentioned players as well. Pep Guardiola, Luis Enrique. Yeah. Those two players are also mentioned, but man, I gotta go with <laughs> those three. Just because Busquets was a little bit, I would say those front three players in their prime were just unbelievable. Chabi in his best, Iniesta in his best. But you know, you could I understand you could go with Luis Enrique or Pep Guardiola, but I, I Busquets at that age with those three players, I've seen him play with those two players. And he was just terrific. So I'll go with that. And then the front three. I got to go. I'm going to start with the easy ones and I'll get to the hard ones. Because this one I had a, there's one, there's two players that I was sort of, so I kind of want to hear your feedback. Messi, of course. Okay. All-time goal scorer. He's won everything at Barcelona. Most minutes, most goals, all-time. I'm going to go with Roaldinho on the, on the, Yes, Ronaldinho, Ballon d'Oro. Yeah, I'm going to go with them because okay. he changed an error. I think Barcelona in the 90s and the 80s, you know, weren't as good. He comes in 2004, yeah. changes completely what the Barcelona DNA is. Not, you know, what Guardiola did, but he completely changed that way they played. And he, what he did at the Santiago Bernabeu, I knew it was only four years he was at his prime at Barcelona. But those four years matter. You see... Yeah. What he did to Messi helped him develop as well. So I'm going to go with Roadinho. And then I have two guys left that I just, I cannot decide. Maradona or Johan Cruyff. I mean, Maradona that's hasn't good, played that's enough. That's a good thing to have, though. I got an argument. Um, out the two of them is a good. Johan Cruyff wasn't as successful. Neither was Diego, but Diego won two trophies. I'm probably gonna go with Johan Cruyff. I think he, I think his impact changed it. Diego Maradona has a mention as well, but that's my Barcelona eleven: Johan Cruyff, Ronaldinho, Messi, Busquets, Iniesta, Xavi, Eric Cabidal, Gerard Piqué, Carlos Puyol, Dani Alves, and Victor Valdez. The one thing I will say is I could have sworn you were gonna put Suarez. I no. think Suarez has no. won. He's done everything there, and no. he's had such a good record. Oh yeah, I know. It's I know. Yeah, it's, when you it's, look at it on paper, it's insane, but. That's fair. I think yeah. midfield. I I'll be real with you. I think midfield wise, you've gotten me. There's no, there's no, no way around that you've beaten me in the midfield. Yeah. Forward, defensively, you know what? I'm not. I think City e- aren't as established. E- I, all right, I'll I'll tell you mine, and then I'll and then I'll concede. Go ahead. <laughs> Get, no, give me your rest of your lineup. So go ahead. Uh, so I have, I kind of did the four two two two. Okay. I think it makes the most sense to me. Okay. Yaya. And Fernandinho. Love it. Fernandinho is the metronome of Man City. I he thought it's the Busquets. Yaya was also a player I was thinking of, but yes, go ahead. So as funny. Having one of the mo- greatest individual seasons ever in 2014 15. Mm. You can't not include him. And then Fernandinho has just been such a stalwart in this Manchester City team. Being that metronome who can drop in the center back if he's needed. He controls the play like a Busquets. Not yeah. as, obviously, a little bit of a different play style than Busquets because he doesn't like to get on the ball as much. Um, but. I mean, he is one of the greatest ever played for Man City. My cams, I don't... This is not even as a bait. <laughs> David Silva and Kevin Ooh, De Bruyne. There you go. Uh, the two of their Ooh. impact. Silva comes in yeah. when they're shifting over in terms of the money, and he is just unplayable for about seven or eight years. Mm-hmm. He was in his prime, pulling the strings against Man City team where they had brought in De Bruyne. They've brought in Raheem Sterling, you could even say. Mars, like he's... David Silva was still there doing this stuff, and you can't not include him. De Bruyne as well has completely evolutionized the role of a cam where you don't really need him to be. He's a Kevin De Bruyne's not a, just a technical genius, no. but the way he can strike a ball yes. is something you don't really see from cams nowadays. Yeah. Where he's not afraid to 
when he's driving forward, switches to the complete opposite side of the field, yeah. something David Silva wasn't able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, strikers, like we said, I'm going to go with my risky one first. Ed and Jekko. I love Jekko. I love him with all my heart. And I thought he, mm-hmm. his evolution as a Man City player, two Premier Leagues when he won it in 2011, 2012, 2013, 14, or yeah, 2013, 14, where he was just the best player on the, at certain points. He was the best player on the team where he was just. It's not obviously the goals speak for themselves, but the positions he was getting in to yeah. score those goals are something that you can't teach. Yeah, you can't just tell someone to like, pop, pull up in these pockets in these fields. So he did really well. And then my striker, I've gone with someone I know you're not going to debate. It's Mario Balotelli. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was going to say, whoa, <laughs> shocker. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's uh, my favorite player of all time, Sergio Cunaguero. Uh, he's just he. You cannot put him in. Uh, one of the great I he is the greatest Premier League striker of all time I I, I think <laughs> Ben you make a it's an argument I mean I know Terry Henry Wayne Rooney I even think Harry Kane could be in there but he, he will be by the end of his career he will be in there he will argument. be but I will not debate you there I think that's a I think it's a hot take but has a lot of fact to that but I'll, I, I'm yeah. pulling out the white flag here I'll, I'll concede I'll let the, the fans can vote but I think you've kind of yeah. got me there's no, there's no doubt in my mind you've gotten me, but I think this is a very strong Man City team. Ronaldinho, Messi, Johan Cruyff. I've tossed Jacko in there. I'll, I'll concede. Is Jacko better than Johan Cruyff or even Ronaldinho and Messi at their prime? I don't know. Let the fans decide. I mean, I'll, who knows? I let, mean, let's see if that crowd comes and and has that love for Aaron Jacko and Ben <laughs> does. So we'll see there. But um, we'll leave it there. Next week, I think we can go back to our our football who tri- trivia, and we'll kind of use our questions. I have some questions ready, but we can say that for next week because yeah. we'll see. You know, we have plenty of time. Uh, next week, we'll get into much more of uh, the club football as it returns back. We'll find out if the USA make it to the World Cup. Hopefully. I know it's nine. I know it's close. Only it's only six goals that can prevent it. So who knows? But yeah. <laughs> we'll see what happens, and we'll find out um, the rest of the teams that make it to Qatar. And much more. So, everybody, thank you for tuning in and listening in. You can guys can follow us on Spotify. You know, Ben, you can follow him on Instagram. You can also follow myself, Marvin, on Instagram as well. We'll post this video, this podcast, as soon as we get it done. And, yes, everybody, I hope you enjoy this and have a fantastic, fantastic week. We'll talk to you soon.